Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, we have a very special guest. Tonight, we have Serial Killers with Sierra. Yeah. So, I am joined by Serial Killer uh, Aficionado, fan, (laughs) obsessed super fan, I guess. Avid super fan, (laughs) Sierra. Yes. Hello. And Sierra is joining us tonight to talk about a situation, a butcher. Yeah, basically. In Germany. Yeah, I mean, never proven, but it was very theorized. So he goes by the Butcher of Hanover, the Vampire of Hanover, or the Wolfman. Oh, okay, so he has a variety of killing tactics, I'm assuming. He has one killing tactic, oh, Okay. But, uh, it's very unique. So I'm going to start with a question. So, okay. The last time you bought a package of meat, okay, did you, did you stop to question about like not from where Safeway? It came from? No, no, <laughs> no. Well, if you were in Germany sometime between oh 1918 and 1924, you might want to think a little bit about where your meat was from. Yeah, about where it was coming from, because you know, could be horse, <laughs> could be person. You never know, right? Well, you know, with the holidays just passed. Mm-hmm. You know, we did a lot of crafts and stuff. And the one thing that always kills me is how someone looked at a horse and said, I can make glue out of that and managed to do it. But I mean, speaking of horse meat, I just. <laughs> Humans are weird. Yes. We're, not, we're strange. They had creatures. a lot of things. No Google, you know, no internet. No, but you know, well, I mean, it's like the same concept, like where milk first came from. Who looked at a cow and goes, yes, that, that looks tasty. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. People are weird. So let's talk about the Butcher of Hanover. So the Butcher of Hanover, his full name is crazy. It is Frederick Heinrich Karl Fritz Harman. Okay, that's a name. That is quite a name. Uh, He was born October 25th in 1879. He was the youngest of six children, born to uh, Joanna and Ollie Harman. During his early childhood, he didn't really socialize too much with anybody outside of his siblings. Okay, was he antisocial or just isolated? He was antisocial. I mean, you know, he went to school, whatever, but he was just kind of like... To himself. Yeah. Kept himself, okay. His behavior was noticeably effeminate. Okay. Everything I found was that in quotations for some reason. So he was feminine in nature, that's my assumption? Yeah, so he was definitely like, I want to play with dolls more than like hang out with the boys kind of growing up. His mother was like, you know, the stereotypical, like, German housewife, mom. German mom. And the dad, Ollie, he was known to be argumentative, short-tempered, and had very little time for his children, and also had several affairs, at which point he ended up getting syphilis to wife. He was always, he was an adulterer. Yes, about four or five times. Okay. Well. And he really only, like, married the mom because she had a lot of money. I think she was, like, 17 years older than him. Okay. Yeah. So he and wanted a cushy life. Yeah, he wanted the cushy life and apparently not to just be stuck with the old lady. Okay. So he went after some young people and I don't know. So he's weird. So he started school in 1886. Academic performance was poor and he actually had to repeat a school year twice. And he, he's a little bit of an enigma to me. So most serial killers, they tend to have like a super traumatic past. You know, they have all these weird signs. And some of them tend to be higher than average IQ, yeah. Right, intelligence. Yeah, not, not this poor guy. Not okay. poor little Harmon. Um, poor? <laughs> <laughs> Look at you being all nice. Hey. He was supposedly molested at the age of eight by a teacher, but he never really went into detail. And from all the research that I could do, that's like the only thing I found that was like, maybe could have led to, to what, what happened. Did. Yeah. Okay. So he finished school in 1894 and enlisted in the military a year later. The German military? Yes. 
Um, he was in service for about five months, and then he started to have periodic lapses of consciousness. Painting? Yeah. Okay. So he would just be, like, you know, out doing his rounds or whatever, and he would just drop. They thought it was, like, due to anxiety at first, which, I don't know, I've never heard of somebody fainting from anxiety. I've had anxiety attacks. I felt like I was going to faint, but never did. But I don't know. But the diagnosis was later changed on to epilepsy-like episodes. And so he actually discharged himself from service. Oh, okay. He's like, I'm out. Peace I'm, it. Bye. Right. I can't handle this no more. See y'all later. And went back to Hanover. He committed his first known sexual offense at the age of 16. He would typically lead, like, young boys kind of off into, like, a secluded, like, cellar. So his preference for boys. Yes. Okay. And he would sexually assault them. He was first arrested for that in July of 1896. And then he would get arrested over and over and over again over the next, like, year or so for the same kinds of offenses. Different victims. Yes. He would actually be sent to a mental institution that year uh, where he would be certified as incurably deranged and ordered to be confined indefinitely. Oh, so he's supposed to be wrapped up now. Yes. Okay. And he escaped seven months later. Oh, okay. Supposedly with the help of his mother. And moved to Switzerland. Yes. Okay. He moved where? To Switzerland. Oh. He returned to Hanover, however, in April of 1899, so like a year or so later. Didn't Um, like the chocolate? I guess not. I don't know why. Switch chocolate's so good. (laughs) He got engaged to a woman named Erna Lowart, who then got pregnant with her child. But then in October of 1900, he had to serve his compulsory military service. So he was in the military once, had to go back. Right. Because Germany was weird like that, I guess. He was deployed to a place called Colomar to serve in the number 10 Rifle Battalion. He actually stated that his time with the battalion was the happiest time of his life. Well, he's b- around a bunch of men. Yeah, so. If that was his inclination, then that would explain it. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> a year later, he collapsed while exercising with the battalion and was hospitalized for over four months. Oh. So it's probably, it never released, like, nothing I read said what it was, but I'm just going to assume it was the same thing from the last time he was in the military. Right. He was discharged in July 28th, 1902, due to the health reasons, and he was labeled disabled by the military. But they never said why. I mean, four months for one collapse? Yeah. That seems excessive. Well, I mean, you know, medicine wasn't the greatest no, back in the no, day, so no. they're like, oh, you collapsed. <laughs> Sit here in this bed forever, <laughs> I guess. He actually went to work at his father's cigar factory that his father had set up, but then decided to file a lawsuit against his own dad, stating that he was unfit to work because he was being uh, labeled as disabled by the military. Wow, sounds like tactics people use these days, but go ahead. (laughs) Wow. His father filed a countersuit. Good for dad. Yeah, and said that Harmon was blackmailing him and sending him death threats. And that those were grounds for reinstitutionalizing him. Well, I mean, he's yeah. not wrong. No, you know, especially for sending death threats to your own dad. Right. There was no evidence, however, that he was sending like the death threats or anything like that. But he did undergo a psychiatric evaluation again. Okay. And this time, instead of finding him the incurably deranged, they found him morally inferior, but not mentally unstable. So even though the man escaped, mm-hmm. nobody was like. We need to take him back? No. The end? No. Okay. It's like, oh, you were incurably deranged and you had to be here forever. But, oh, you escaped and now you're back? It's fine. Exactly. I'm not sure how that works, but okay, Germany. Germany. So then his wife, Erna, filed for a divorce. Done with him and his weirdness. I'm sure that was a long time coming. Yes. And eventually just booted him out of the house. Because I guess everything was in her name. Right, well, she had the money. Yeah. So for the next decade, he spent his time basically as a petty theft, a burglar, or a con artist. Well, he had to make that money. Yeah, he had to make money somehow. Then starting in 1905, he served several short prison sentences for larceny, embezzlement, and assault. He was also thought to have robbed graves and tombstones, but he was never charged for those. Well, that was an easy way to get money. Yeah, you know, back then, for sure. right. So he spent the majority of his time between 1905 and 1912 in jail. Okay, in and out, right? In and out. That was his whole life at that point. By 1913, he was arrested for another burglary charge and spent five years in prison this time. I don't know why. Finally, like the 53rd burglary charge. Now you spend a long time. Right. But again, Germany. He was released, moved to Berlin for a little bit, a couple months, and then moved back into Hanover to go live with his sister for a while. Oh, that, that was a bad idea, sister. 
Well, I mean, nothing happened, luckily. He was there for a couple months and then got his own place. While he was struck by poverty, he tended to trade in stolen property, which helped him to establish a lot of criminal contacts, which would come in very handy when he became a police informant. Okay, wow. Mm-hmm. So this fucker can't even be trusted with no. the bad stuff. <laughs> no. So he became a police informant because he was a known criminal and a homosexual, which back in the day was illegal and punishable by imprisonment. Go Germany, I, I know. guess. But he mostly became a informant basically to kind of keep all the eyes off of him. Like, you know, hey, let me get an in, and then you guys will just ignore what I do because I'm right. going to turn in people for you. Let me point you in this direction so you don't go in my direction. Yeah, it's this homeboy, not me. Right. But uh, he would offer to fence stolen property and then have the police raid his apartment at agreed times and find the stolen property and arrest the people and he would also be arrested just to kind of throw off suspicion. Right. So he would be like, oh, no, I got caught, too. Right. Oh, no. I'm not the mole. <laughs> so fast forward a couple months, September 25th of 1918. There is a 17-year-old named Fredel Ruth who disappears. The last person he was seen with happens to be Mr. Harmon at the Hanover train station. The family pressured the police, the local police, to go raid this apartment because, hey, you know, this is the last place our son was seen. You know, something had to happen. He's the guy. Yeah, you know, obviously something because nobody else knows. And he does have the history. Yeah. And so they raided his apartment where he was found with a semi-naked 13-year-old boy. Oh, my God. So it's not Ruth, but it's another kid. So he was arrested and charged for sexual assault and battery, and Harmon would later admit that Ruth's head... His severed head was stuck behind the stove wrapped in newspaper while they were raiding his apartment. And it was never found. The head was never found? The head was never found. Oh. Yes. Little Poor later, Ruth. Right. A little later on, he ends up picking up a 17-year-old named Hans Granz, who eventually becomes his lover and supposed partner. Supposed? Um, supposed. Okay. It was never really proven. I mean, he was arrested, but Hans stated that he was straight but initiated contact with Harmon first because he knew that he was a homosexual and he did it with the intent to sell his body because he needed money. Oh, prostitution. Yes. Okay. Well, it's not gay, but it's three way. Yeah, right? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to look at it. Harmon turned out to be very smitten with Granz, very much smitten, but Granz kind of manipulated and mocked him. And he would kick Granz out eventually when he had enough of his bullshit, but then he would immediately turn around and beg Hans to come back. Like, don't leave. So Hans basically had this guy by the by the pinky. Oh, yeah. And Harmon would later say that it was because he craved companionship and affection. And a direct quote from him was actually, I had to have someone I meant everything to. Oh, well, he was under some delusions. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, reminded me of another quote that I found the other day was, you know, if you're not fed love on a silver spoon, you learn to lick it off of knives. Oh, that so, applies. Yeah, so I guess, you know, if you're that starved for attention, I guess even bad attention at that point becomes good. Correct, correct. So between 1918 and 1924, this guy is thought to have killed at least 27 people. So during World War One, Yes. When the Germans were causing a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he would typically go after, like, runaways or, like, you know, People that would just end up disappearing anyway. All of his victims were between the age of 10 and 22. Oh, my God. Yeah. This, this, this guy. He would give them food and drink, you know, invite them over to his place, give them food and drink. And then he would bite into their Adam's apple during sex. Oh. And, uh... Sex or rape? Well, yeah. He would refer to it as his love bite. Oh. But sometimes he would accidentally... Uh uh, bite through the trachea while he was strangling them. So that's how some of them died. Most died by strangulation. Some died by getting their throat bitten out. Hence the name Wolfman. Right, yeah. Yeah. God. He would dismember them and discard their pieces in the Line River. Heads, torsos, arms, legs, whatever. All parts. Yes. And he would keep their possessions for himself or for Hans Granz, little dude over here. Where he'd sell them on the black market, or he would give them away as gifts. Like so, it. he's regifting at Christmas time. Yeah, you know, okay. in the holiday season. Here, have this jacket that I <laughs> mysteriously got somehow. <laughs> it's a nice jacket. It's so nice. <laughs> have this. I know it probably fits on like a sixteen-year-old, but it'll fit you. Yes. <laughs> he was rumored. It was never proven 
but it was rumored that he sold human meat on the black market. Mm. So he was a known trader in contraband meat. Of course, he would always say it was horse. Questionable. Yeah. Right. Well, and then when somebody would ask him where he got it, he stated he would get it from a butcher named Carl. Now, one of the long part of this man's name is Carl. Frederick Heinrich Carl Fritz Harmon. So it's possible he was referring to himself. Yes. Okay. Just without being like. But I mean, I have no doubt Germany is filled with Carls. Oh, yeah, no doubt. There's like five or six people in here that have the same exact name on this list. Ridiculous. We're going to skip ahead to 1923. Harmon murdered 13 people in that year. Oh, my God. Yes, and all of them with pretty close together. Wait, what is he do? So he's just criminal activity. Yeah, just straight up, just criminal man. Okay. Steals, you know, petty theft, burglary. Because, I mean, he's. Murder, it's fine. Right. <laughs> and and pawning their stuff off. Yeah. To, so that's how he's making his marks. His German marks is just pawning. Just pawning things that he got from his victims, basically. And their meat. And their meat. Yes. <laughs> so February 12th, 1923, he picks up Fritz Frankie, 17 years old, and brings him home to Hans Granz and two females, one of whom is Hans's female lover. Yes. Granz leaned over. And whispered to one of the girls, hey, he's going to get trampled on today. So the girls left. They're like, that's weird. I don't want any part of this. I'm going to leave now. Right. They come back the next day, and Fritz Frank is no longer there. Harmon stated that he had decided to travel to Hamburg. Okay. So, yeah, here you have Granz lean over and go, hey, basically this dude's going to die. And then he disappears. And then he disappears. And he says this to two witnesses. To two witnesses. Okay, that's not dumb. Who never go to the police. Okay, well. Because Germany. Right, <laughs> Germans. <laughs> because Germans. Um, and then on March 20th, 17-year-old uh, Wilhelm Schultz goes missing. Nobody was found for him, but his possessions were found with the landlady of the apartments that he was living in. Did she ever confess where she got her, got the possessions? Eventually. Okay. But not... Anytime soon. So no one actually saw him with anybody. He just ups and disappears. Just ups and disappears. Okay. June 16th, 16-year-old Roland Hutch goes missing. He stated to his friends that he was going to run away and join the Marines. Okay. Well. He ran away. Yeah. So Part one was done. Yeah, so easy target for that one. Did they ever find his body? So some of them, they haven't really, like, stated if they found the body because they found pieces. Okay. So it was kind of hard to, like, match exactly. So in the early 1900s, how were they able to confirm it's this person versus that person? Does it all come out later? Yeah. Okay. So, like, they talked to, like, neighbors and that kind of stuff later on. And in May, doesn't couldn't find a date, but sometime in May, a 19-year-old Hans Sonnenfeld goes missing. Later on, his yellow overcoat that he was basically, like, his signature was found with Harmon. Harmon would wear the coat afterwards. You know, that's not bold. <laughs> not in the least. Let me murder this guy. And I can't imagine so nice. how big this town is in the 1920s or, you know, yeah. in this time. I mean, we're still talking, you know, relatively small towns. Yeah. Well, uh, <clears throat> most of the people that he got, he would pick them up from the train station. Okay. So they're from all over Germany. So he's circling. Point. He's, you know, sharking. The, sounds like yeah, the, the train. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, like, kind of looking like, hey, you know, why are you here? What brings you to Hanover? Oh, your family doesn't know that you're here? Right. Come to my house. I've got Rossworks at home. I have food and drink. Yeah. Right. Murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one to go missing was 13-year-old Ernst Ernberg. Oh, he was no. He was actually uh, Harmon's neighbor. Oh. Well, the son of his neighbor, but. Obviously, yes. But. Yeah. That is like shitting in your own pot, you dumb shit. Right. You don't do that. This guy's a fool. So nobody for him was found either. Oh. But his school cap and braces were found in Harmon's apartment. Braces? The kid was wearing braces? So like I don't leg know, braces? I think, I'm assuming it was leg braces. That would be my assumption. I, yeah, I couldn't find anything that So said he otherwise. attacks a poor disabled kid? Is that what we're saying? Yes. Not a fucking douche. Yeah. Okay. Just, just, just a wee bit of I a mean, douche. I mean, he just... <laughs> okay. I'm telling you, he is a piece of work. Uh, August 24th, 18-year-old Heinrich Strobe goes missing. 
again, possessions were found in the apartment. No body, but possessions. Sometime between August and September, 17-year-old Paul Bronskowiski, weird name, uh, his jacket, knapsack, and pants were found. In the house. In the house. And when you say, obviously, we're talking potentially down the line, eventually he, he becomes a suspect, and when they raid the house, mm-hmm. this is all the stuff that they find. Yes. Okay. This is all... Down the line a little bit. Okay. Yeah. September 30th, 17-year-old Richard Graff goes missing. October 12th, it's 16-year-old Wilhelm Urcher. He had become acquainted with somebody named a Detective Fritz Honorbrock. Oh, my God. Now he's impersonating a cop. Yes. Okay. So now he's impersonating a detective. Because, hey, I'm an informant. I'm an in with the police people. Right. You know, like an asshole. October 24th, 15-year-old Herman Wolf goes missing. And then October 27th, 13-year-old Heinz Brickman. I mean, these are all very, like, close together, Right. Too. It's almost as if he just has this constant need to kill. Yeah. Like an uncontrollable urge. Right. November 10th, 17-year-old Adolf Happenill goes missing. Okay. December 6th, 19-year-old Adolf Hines. Now, Hines is a little bit of a weird one because Harmon full-on said that he didn't do it. I did not kill this one. He states that he came home one day to find the naked body missing his signature love bite on the bed with Gron standing over him. And Gron turned to him and states, this is one of yours, not mine. Hmm. Yeah. Do we think maybe he blacked out? Mm, we're not really sure on that one. It, I mean, it could have been, but of course, you know, little Mr. Hans Granz, who knows all these murders are taking place. Right. You know, who knows what weird, sick, twisted things going on in his head. So he could have just killed this one. Right. Nobody knows. Um, and that's actually one that he, he was not charged with that murder because of the conflicting statements between him and Granz. Well, it, if he comes clean later with mm-hmm. all these other ones, it, it, it's and he's, you know, I can imagine this individual having the indecency to wear his victim's clothing, signature clothing. Yes. You know, taking pride in the evil things that he does. Mm-hmm. And it, to some extent gives him credence when he says, that one I did not do. Yeah. Does not take ownership. Yeah. Whereas he's... It kind of comes off like a braggart. Mm-hmm. I killed this person. I'm wearing his clothes. What the fuck are you going to do about it? I'm so fancy and shit now. Right. <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, this one, he is adamant that he did not kill this one. Okay. And it's entirely possible Grons did do it. Yeah. Trying to pin it on his, you know, Han over here. Yeah. Harmon. Harmon. And, it, you know, tries to get away with this terrible deed. By, well, this guy's doing all the killing. No one's going to believe that I did it after all the things that he's done. Oh, yeah. I absolutely would not put it past him either. Right. I mean, he's, if he's aware or even... I, here's the deal, okay? Mm-hmm. There was a gap in time where we had available and accessible transportation with no cameras. Yeah. No cell phones. Mm-hmm. And no cell phones tracking our movements, you understand? Yeah. But... We're still talking horse and carriage here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, how are they moving bodies <laughs> or cutting up bodies? Or, I mean, does this all come out later where he took these people? Yes. Because there has to obviously be a killing place. Yes. Oh, trust me. He goes into detail Okay. of how he dismembers these bodies. Okay. And I have that in my okay. little <laughs> notes here. Down the road. Okay. Down the road. So now we're going to go to 1924. He killed 13 people again this same year. Oh, my God. So 13 people the year before, 13 people the year after. This dude is moving. Right. January 5th, 17-year-old Ernest Spiker. Harmon has stated that he assumed it was one of his victims. He couldn't remember. Okay. So that tells you how much he really cares about what he did. Right, and who he's killing. I possibly murdered this person. I don't know. Degenerate? (laughs) Yeah. So January 16th, 20-year-old Heinrich Koch goes missing. Nobody finds him either. February 2nd, 19-year-old Willie Segner. February 8th, 16-year-old Harmon Spikerch. And these are also from the train? Most of them, yes. Okay. Basically, like, 99% of his victims, 
he found at the train station. April 1st, Harmon Bach, who was an acquaintance, actually, of Harmon's. Harmon was cleared of his murder, but he was found to have his possessions and actively discouraged Bach's friends from reporting him missing. Oh. You know, that's not suspicious. Not on any level. Oh, man, our friend is missing. We must be so worried. Nah, he's fine. Right, Don't right. worry about it. Come to my house. He had a little <laughs> sore throat the other day, but he's all right yeah, now. you know, Adam's apple was a little raw, but it's <laughs> fine. April 8th, 16-year-old Alfred Hogfried goes missing. April 17th, another 16-year-old, Wilhelm Apple. Then April 26th, 18-year-old Robert Winsel. Made- was March, like, freezing that year because he skips over March? I guess. I don't know. I, no, that is a good question. I guess there just wasn't enough it's in the train station for him to pick up, I guess. <laughs> or it was too cold to get around. Yeah, you know. I, mean, I guess Germany would be pretty cold in March. Can't go out. Can't go out on your murder spree. Right. It's too cold. Transients, beware. <laughs> Transients. <laughs> May 10th, 14-year-old Heinz Martin goes missing. His Aww. clothes were found in the apartment. Poor kid. Yeah. May 26th, 17-year-old Fritz Wittig goes missing. He, supposedly, was killed at the insistence of Granz because he had a good new suit that Granz coveted. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, there you go, little Hans Granz over here being his little manipulative self again. Right. Oh, I like that suit. Kill him for me because right. you love me. Th- that same day, oh, May 26th. A double header here. Yes. Literally. Ten-year-old oh, no. Frederick Abeling goes missing after he was truant from school. Yeah, that's uh, that ends up being the youngest out of Harbin's victims. Fucker. Uh, they'll be skipping school, I guess. Not when there's some weird witcher man hanging out. June 5th, 16-year-old Frederick Conch goes missing. And then June 14th, supposedly the last body, was 17-year-old Eric de Fraise. He was the only body that was not found in the Line River. His body was found near the Harrenhausen Gardens, which are like the Royal Palace Gardens. Oh, wow. In a lake. Oh. Harmon would later confess that it took four trips to carry all of the remains to the lake. And he carried those remains in Frederick Conch's leather bag. Oh. So not even his own stuff. Right. He's going to use somebody else's crap to carry But I mean, how big is this bag? They're talking about a 17-year-old here. Yeah. They can... and, you know, German 17-year-old in the 1920s. We're probably talking a pretty you know, big, stocky kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did say it took four trips. So and what are they cutting the bones with? He never really goes into detail, but I would believe it was a handsaw. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Th- this man. Th- this man. Yeah. Now we're going to go into the discoveries. May 17th, 1924. So, just before mm-hmm. his last three killings... Or four killings. Yes. Things start rolling. Yes, things are getting found. Okay. There's two children playing near the Line River, and they discover a skull. The police were actually very skeptical that it was a murder. They thought that it was either left there by grave robbers or as a really tasteless prank by medical students. So they didn't take it seriously at all. Okay, well, it sounds like modern cops sometimes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. May 29th, a second skull was found on the Line River. You know, again, they kind of... Police are just kind of like brushing it under the rug. They're like, yeah. We don't have a sewer killer in our hands. Yeah. We're, no, we're, we're doing our job and keeping you guys safe. Stop talking about this. Right. Uh, two boys in a field in a village of Doran, which is about an hour and a half away from Hanover at this point, found a sack containing bones. Okay. So that flowed quite a ways down this river. Correct. June 3rd, two more skulls are found. One in the river and one by a mill in Hanover. And one of these skulls had evidence of being scalped. So it had like knife blade marks Jag- on the forehead. Jad marks mm-hmm. into the bone. So evidence now they can't really or should not really be ignoring. Yeah, for sure. So June 8th, several hundred Hanover residents, so not even cops, the residents of Hanover, decide that they're going to search the banks of the river and the surrounding areas. Because now they're getting nervous. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I would be too. You know, all these skulls are popping up. And, and pe- all these people, people are, are missing. missing. Yeah. yeah. They discover more human bones. Not said how many remains, but a lot more bones. So police finally decide to get off their asses and actually do something for a minute. And they drag the river, the entirety of the river in the middle of Hanover. 
they find more than 500 bones. Oh my god. Most of them bore evidence of being dissected, primarily at the joints. So like elbow, shoulder, whatever. Head, knees, and toes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, suspicions finally turned to Harmon because of his homosexuality and the previous record. Because, you know, forensic wasn't the greatest back in the day, but they were able to de- determine that they were male skulls. Okay. Because, you know, they're obviously a little slightly different than females in some way, I guess. So on June 18th of 1924, Harmon is placed under surveillance. Now they're watching him yeah. from their horses. Yes. Uh-huh. But they had to bring in two cops from Berlin to go undercover because obviously Harmon's an informant. He knows all the police at Hanover. They can't have the Hanover police because they'll be like, hey, what's up, Ted? What's up, Tom? What I you can't doing? be killing right in front of y'all. I, I know what you're doing. Right. You guys have a good day. So just a couple days later, on June 22nd, so not even that long after he's put under surveillance, he was observed arguing with a 15-year-old Carl Fromm in the Hanover station. Harmon himself approaches the police and goes, hey, you guys should arrest him because he's traveling on false documents. So they arrest Fromm, and Fromm, while he's in police custody, informs them that he has been living with Harmon for the last four days and has been repeatedly sexually assaulted, raped, and had a knife held to his throat for four days. So Harmon kind of signed his own little warrant there. Yeah. Now, are these things true? Or, I mean, I wouldn't put it past this crazy ass. But I mean, they also let him go. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. And then he turns around and then gets him in trouble. So, I mean, whether or not the kid is telling the truth, mm-hmm. his behavior leads to the bigger and better yeah. problem. Oh, here. yeah, for sure. Not better. Like The bigger issue here. Yeah, like this dude could have been lying through his teeth, but it was a good lie because they got this dude caught. Correct. <laughs> so Harmon gets arrested and charged with sexual assault. And they decide to search his attic apartment because, obviously. Right. They find that the flooring, the walls, and the bedding are excessively bloodstained. Okay, so that's where the killings happen. Yes. Harmon, of course, tries to write it off as, you know, oh, well, I trade in contraband meat. That's why it's bloody. You know, it's not because I'm biting dudes in the throat and strangling them and murdering or anything. That's not me. No. What is it mean? I'm so innocent and good. <laughs> so his neighbors get questioned, and they state that they had seen Harmon coming with numerous teenage boys to the house or to the apartment, but none of them tend to leave. And they also see Harmon sneaking out with sacks, bags, or baskets in the late evening or the early morning. Baskets. Okay. Yes. And returning without them. So that's also suspicious. Right. So all of the possessions, you know, the clothing, whatever, found in the apartment were confiscated and put on display at the uh, Hanover police station. Probably to help identify. Exactly. They invite families from all over Germany. Like, hey, if you have a missing son or come over here, can you identify these clothing? That's probably how they figured out their victims. That's exactly how they did it. So all these families from all over Germany come and start like, hey, this is my kid's clothes. This is my kid's thing. Whatever. Harmon, of course, tried to write it off and said that he got it while trading in used clothing or they were left at his house after a sexual encounter. Like, oh, I picked this guy up. We had sex. It was consensual. They accidentally left it. Right. Right. He left his red jacket behind. Yes. Yellow jacket. His little yellow raincoat. It's mine now. The turning point was June 29th. Clothes, boots, and keys belonging to eight-year-old Robert Witzel were found. And I don't know exactly how they matched it to the skull that was found on May 20th. But somehow they matched it to his skull. I guess he had like a missing tooth or something in a certain spot. And the family was able to be like, hey, this was like the identifying marks. So when confronted with all of this evidence, Harmon broke down and had to be supported by his sister. Oh. So they're kind of like, hey, we kind of know that you did this shit. So this dude breaks down and starts crying. And his sister's like, oh, it's okay. You know? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, you got to support family, man. No. Yeah, not in that case. I wouldn't be like, mm, you on you, hoe. You, he's a killer. He's, no. he's murdered that. So he would eventually confess to raping, killing, and dismembering many young men. He initially described it as a rabid sexual passion. Okay. <laughs> he also stated that he never intended to murder any of his victims, but he would be seized by an irresistible urge to bite into or through the Adam's apple in the throes of ecstasy. I mean... Biting in the bedroom, I get it. Biting like that in the bedroom. Well, that's dripping their throats out. That's, that's. That, that, that's a little much. What uh, was he, do- he was der- considered deranged? Yes. Yeah. So, 
Makes sense. Right. I think that was a a very accurate diagnosis. Oh, yes. Way back when. And all of this could have been prevented after he escaped and they caught him and they just tossed him back. In the asylum. Correct. Which they should have done. Right. Obviously. But Germany. Only one intended victim escaped, but never reported it to the police. Oh. Because, you know, again, homosexuality back in the day was illegal. Yeah, it was illegal. So, you know, nobody wants to go up and confess. Like, hey, I tried to sleep with this dude, and I guess you can arrest me now, too. Because then they're self-incriminating. Yes. Stated that he dismembered and disposed of the body shortly after death. However, he found the act of dismemberment unpleasant. He was actually sick for eight days after the first one. Well, too bad for him. Well, then why'd you keep doing it? Exactly. You're not that sick. Right. Stated that his passion at the moment of murder was, and this is a direct quote from this crazy man, Stronger than the horror of the cutting and the chopping. Stated it would take him about two days to dismember a body. This is a lie because he was killing and killing and killing like in May and April. That was like once the cold really kind of started getting better. Yeah, it was like, you know, three or four of them a month. It's fine. Right. Yeah. To fortify himself, he would pour himself a cup of strong black coffee. You know, coffee, not alcohol or Anything like that. Just coffee. And then place the body on the floor and cover the face with a cloth. He would then remove the intestines and place them in a bucket. Yeah. Like I said, he goes into detail. So he had a system. He has a system. He would use a towel to suck out the blood in the abdominal cavity. He would then make three cuts between the ribs and the shoulders. And then, again, a direct quote, take hold of the ribs and push until the bones around the shoulders broke. I know this is a podcast and I can't see your face, but yeah, <laughs> that face says it all. Well, you know, what I'm imagining, okay, mm-hmm. is I don't think this has indoor plumbing. No. So where, I mean, this place didn't stink. People didn't complain. Right. I mean, blood stinks. It Dead does. bodies stink. Heads yeah. behind stoves stink. <laughs> But he sold contraband meat. Remember, he could just. Brush I it understand off. that, but I mean, the neighbors didn't call the cops. Being like, it stinks really bad. Mm-mm. I just I, Germany. <laughs> I just I guess it could just all be explained as Germany. He would take the heart, the lung, and the kidneys, remove them, dice them, and then place them in the same bucket as the intestines, and then he would sever the arms and the legs from the body. He would strip the flesh from the limbs and the torso and dispose of it in the toilet or usually the river. In the toilet? Yeah. And nobody saw the flesh in no. the toilet? I just... I I don't know how he got away with it That's so not shit, people. <laughs> it's shitty. Yes, it's not shit. exactly. <laughs> he would then sever the head and he would use a small kitchen knife to strip the flesh from the skull. He would then wrap it in rags place it face down on a pile of straw and bludgeon it with an axe until the back of the head splintered open. So, why? To get to the brain. What was in the brain? Nothing. You just take it out and put it in the bucket. Jesus Christ. <laughs> because, I mean, his job would have been much simpler. Yeah. If he just cut, packaged, and released. Yeah. Would have been way easier. Okay. But the... He likes to go the extra mile. Apparently, if for something he considered grotesque, he needed strong German coffee to, you know, <laughs> uh, reinforce himself there. But okay. All right. Well, I, I don't get it. He was insistent that none of the skulls found belonged to his victims, however, because he said that he smashed the skulls to pieces afterwards. Um, he might have, I mean, maybe. I mean, he could have, but I think he was just doing that trying to save his own ass at that point. All right. He, you know, again, would state that he never intended, but circumstantial evidence stated otherwise. Said that he would plan for hours or days ahead. You know, you would scope the train station. You would only go after people that were like runaways or, you know. Right. He had a definite preference in victims. Yeah. So you can't sit there and say, oh, I didn't intend to do that when you're specifically seeking out people. And you have one place where you're literally going and combing the area for. Yeah, like it's, you know, you're not just picking them up just randomly throughout the entire city. Right. You're picking them up from one spot. Correct. That's (laughs) where your your fishing hole is. Yeah. And he would also dissuade victims' friends and family from filing missing persons reports. So that's another big, like, indicator that, like, you intended. You're avoiding getting caught. Yeah. He would only confess to the murders that they had evidence for. 
Another direct quote from him was, there are some that you don't know about, but it's not those you think. And he would never elaborate, but who knows exactly what that means. When asked how many he thought that he uh, had killed, he would state somewhere between 50 and 70, I'm not sure. Mm. That's a big gap. That is a big gap. And it's an even bigger gap considering they only charged him for 24. Jesus Christ, so barely a third. Yes. So he underwent another uh, uh, psychiatric evaluation and was found competent to stand trial. Good. So trial begins December 4th, 1924. Harmon, who insisted that he would act in his own defense. Like a fucking idiot. Yes. Um, acknowledged guilt for only 14 of the cases. Claimed to be uncertain of the identities of the others. Liar. Yeah. Big ass liar. The public was allowed at first, but after three days, the judge shut that down due to ongoing carnal and gruesome nature of the revelations. And I completely understand that. I mean, we're talking... Pretty horrific acts. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as a family, if I had been a family member, I would not want people to hear how no. my beloved person. Oh, no, not at all. Were, was treated. I wouldn't want the public to know. No, absolutely not. It was considered one of the first major modern media events in Germany. Tabloids would actually describe it as the most revolting case in German criminal history. Well, just wait another 20 years. Yeah, We'd discover uh, Jews, the, the yeah. fucking Nazis. Yeah, so at that point, it was the most horrific. Right. He remained adamant that the ultimate reason he killed was a mystery to him. But he denied having sold the victims as contraband meat. And to be fair, none of the meat found in his apartment was human. And how did they know that? I don't know. I guess if you had to look at it. Well, I guess if you knew your meat, because they had valid butchers who probably would have been able to. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure either. Like, they never really went into detail of how they saw that it wasn't, but... Who knows? Right. When asked to ID photos of the victims, he became very dismissive and claimed he was unable to. He would state, I probably killed him or charge it to me. It's all right with me. Okay. Well, so what arrogance. Right? Like, oh, yeah, I, I don't really remember. I mean. Go ahead and just charge it to me. It's fine. Right. I'll Douche. pay with my credit card. <laughs> what an ass. 285 sections of bone. The bucket that he used to transport the organs and a bloodstained camp bed were all presented as evidence, but he became very dismissive of those as well, basically stating, you can't prove that I was the one that did that. And hello, I sold contraband meat. That's why the bucket and the bed are both gross. Hmm. Neighbors would say that they had seen Harmon leave his apartment with packages of meat, but rarely arrived with them. Okay, so... Like, so where are you getting it then? Do they find any grinders? Mm-mm. No meat grinders. No meat grinders. Okay. So if he was, you know, doing it as that, it was just slabs of human flesh. Eat this. <laughs> it was found that in April of 1924, Harmon's landlady and her family had become very ill after eating sausages and skins that Harmon claimed were sheep intestine. Probably human intestine. Correct. So, by the second week of the trial, it became known just how much the police knew about Harmon's criminal history and activity, and yet they never did anything about it. So now they look bad. So now they look horrendous. You know, oh yeah, we know this guy has, you know, a long history of sexual assault, but... And they just... And he's doing (laughs) all of this in the same town. And again, we're not talking huge metropolitan like New York City. Mm Mm-mm. (laughs) <laughs> just okay. It, it, it don't make no sense to me. So the trial lasted exactly two weeks, and a hundred and ninety witnesses testified. That's a lot of people. That is, but it sounds like the police did do a thorough, well, to some extent. Yes, you know, much much later than what they should have right. been doing something. So December nineteenth, nineteen twenty four, he was found guilty of twenty four of the twenty seven murders and sentenced to death by beheading. Sounds fair. Yeah. So, once he got his sentencing, he stood up in court and stated, I accept the verdict fully and freely. I shall go to the decapitating block joyfully and happily. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So, Granz was also arrested and put on trial. As he should have been. As he should have been. And he was also found guilty. He was found guilty of incitement to murder and sentenced to death for Adolf Pearl's murder and an additional 12 years for being an accessory in Fritz Wittigan's murder. So Hans became hysterical and had to be dragged out of the courtroom once he found his Like sentencing. a little bitch, it sounds yes. like. Harmon then also turned to address the court once again and said, Condemn me to death. 
I ask only for justice. I am not mad. Make it short. Make it soon. Deliver me from this life, which is a torment. I will not petition for mercy, nor will I appeal. I want to pass just one more merry night in my cell with coffee, cheese, and cigars. After which, I will curse my father and go to my execution as if it were a wedding. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't know I don't know what it is about that last sentence, but I totally want I will go to my execution as if it were a wedding tattooed on me. Okay. <laughs> I told my mom that and she told me hell no. <laughs> it's just is there something so haunting about that? Right. You're gonna go to an it's execution. It's very interesting though the person he points to in his confession yeah. or acknowledgement of all well not all because he literally gets away with Mm-hmm. A third of these poor victims. Yes. He points to his dad. Yeah. That's very but, interesting. And there's like no, nothing I could find in any of my research stated that his dad was abusive. To him. It was mostly just kind of, I don't really have time for you. Mm. So negligent, but not abusive. But again, we are talking about a situation that was well over 100 years ago. Yeah. And so there so are some things that are not spoken of even today. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So who knows what happened behind closed doors at Correct. that point. Correct. I mean, he did state that if he were at liberty, he would likely kill it once again. Okay, well, we, he's already proven that. Yes. So, with German tradition, he was not informed until the prior evening of his execution date. Uh, after that, he had a prayer with his pastor. His last meal was... His pastor? A, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can't kill you today. It's Sunday. God's day. <laughs> yeah, it's God's day. Can't be murdering you now. His last meal was an expensive cigar and Brazilian coffee. And at 6 a.m. on April 15th, 1925, Harmon was beheaded by guillotine. Well, there you go. No press was allowed in the room. And it was stated that he looked pale but had a sense of bravado. And his last words were, I am guilty, gentlemen, but hard though it may be, I want to die as a man. I repent, but I do not fear death. He should. Yeah. (laughs) Chop his head off. Good chow. Yes. So afterwards, sections of his brain were removed for forensic analysis. Of course. They reveal slight traces of meningitis, which is, for those that don't know, it's the swelling of the protective membrane covering the brain and the spinal cord. So it was probably putting pressure on his brain. So that could have been right. part of the reason why he didn't wanted to go as quickly as possible. Yes. His head was preserved at the Gotagen Medical School from 1925 until 2014, where it was finally cremated. Mm. I don't know why they kept just the head, not the brain. I don't know. Maybe just wanted to look at it. (laughs) Don't end up like this man. (laughs) Right. A simple picture would have sufficed, but okay. Yeah. All of the remains of the victims were buried in a communal grave because, of course, they didn't have a way to separate who was who. Right. And eventually a big stone slab was put over the top of it with all the names. Those poor people. Yeah. They can't even get returned back to their home. Mm Mm-mm. Or proper burial. Yeah. A letter written by Harmon was discovered. He had written it in February 25th, and it declared Granz's innocence. It claimed that although he had been frustrated at having been seen as little more than a meal ticket by Granz, Granz had absolutely no idea that I killed. I That's a lie. I, I don't believe that for one that second. Is, you cannot have a bloody attic. No. And see your honey bunny <laughs> going up and down the steps three <laughs> or four times with baskets like he's going to grandma's house. Right. But remember, he was obsessed with Granz and was very much in love with him. So he probably didn't want him to suffer the same fate. I, I think yeah. Granz knew. No, Granz knew. Absolutely. So he claimed that his uh, accusations against Granz were all obtained under duress and that he falsely accused Granz of murder as a means of revenge. Rolling my eyes here, folks. Rolling my eyes. <laughs> so Granz was retried in January of 1926. What? However, he was found guilty again. Good. This time, he gets to serve two concurrent 12-year sentences, which he served, and then he got out and uh, lived in Hanover until his death in 1975. Wow. He lived yeah. to the 70s. He lived to the 70s. He saw the disco. Yeah. So okay. The disco hits in Germany while he's sitting there breaking a hip after he murdered people. Yeah. So the murders tended to stir discussion in Germany. Regarding the methods used in police investigations, obviously, because if they would have done their job, would have been less victims. Right. And, you know, with all the criminal hood rat shit, as Mm -hmm. the panda would say, they might have caught on to him sooner. Oh, absolutely. The treatment of mentally ill offenders. Because, you know, again, he should have been sent back to the institution. Correct. And the validity of the death penalty. 
Yeah. I mean. Well, he deserved it. I'm, he absolutely I am did. extremely pro death penalty. Um, Me too. I will say that right now. Mm-hmm. You do something as horrific as this, oh, you yeah. deserve to die. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I don't so. want to sit here and waste my tax money and keep exactly. you alive. Get out of here. To feed your ass? No. No. It also, the most heated topic, however, was homosexuality. Oh. Because remember, it was punishable and illegal. And, you know, and if that one remain like that one victim that got away. Had know, just come forward. Had just come forward. It might have saved a whole lot of other people. Yeah. But it uh, stirred up a wave of homophobia. Oh, no. Because, of course, it did. One historian is actually st- uh, actually stated that it split the gay rights movement irreparably, fed every prejudice against homosexuality, and provided new fodder for conservative adversaries of legal sex reform. Mm. Well, unfortunately, he did not do justice to the lesbian gay community. No. With his not at all. murdering conduct. No, and I mean, like, of course, you know, back in the day, they had it hard enough as it is. And Correct. Then, hey, you know, you got this gay serial killer man over here biting people's throats. And would you believe I had not been aware of a, any previous mm-hmm. uh, homosexual serial killer ever? Really? No, I have not. Hey. So this was a very interesting and... Just wow, he really yeah. was the butcher. Yes, of of Hanover, and just absolutely floored at this point in time. <laughs> so, but thank you. Oh, of course, thanks for having me. So that is what we have for you tonight. That is our episode on to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. We have a Facebook account if you are curious or interested and would like to join. Send me a request. But until next time, if you have a place that you would like to see where their dark corners are or have a favorite serial killer, maybe we'll have Sierra come back with any requests uh, that you'd like to hear about, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Final thoughts, Sierra. Don't bite people's throats and also make sure you know where your meat comes from, apparently. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's Safeway. Yeah. <laughs> so until next time. Please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Mm